Oh, good morning. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> yeah, I love it. This is our second week on this subject of margins. And uh, uh, I got to tell you, it, it's, it's, uh, I spent a fair amount of time preparing for this, uh, for this series. And, and I've been applying it in my own life in a number of different ways. And I don't know if it has to do with my age or whatever, but, but it is fitting with me big time. And I, I wanted to start it. We started it last week, and, and the topic was margin with God, because I just know that, you know, if we'll start there, and if we'll start to get our, our lives in, in good shape in terms of our relationship with God, then, then everything else is just going to work a whole lot better. And so that's why we started there. And today, I, I want to talk about relationships. I want to talk about having margin in our relationships. And you might be thinking, how on earth is, is this going to work? How is this going to fit? I, I think what we're going to do is we're actually going to step back and look at relationships biblically. Let's, let's go back to where we really need to go to look at relationships. You see, no, nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know what? I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to keep adding things into my life. I, I'm just going to keep adding things into my life and making it making it busier and, and have so many things actually in my life that my life starts to actually get stressed. And, and not, not only will I get stressed, but I, I might even burn out. And, and in the process, maybe I'll, I'll hurt the people around me, the people who I care about the most. Nobody does that. We, we don't intentionally go there. But we, what we do know is that all of us do this. We add things into our lives, and we don't take things out. So our lives get too busy, the different areas of our lives. We talked about our time with God last week, and today I want to talk about this whole area of our relationships. The next two weeks, I'm going to talk one week about stress and worrying, and then the third week, I want to talk about margin with our finances. And I'm not going to go where you think I'm going to go with the area of finances. I'm looking forward to these next couple of weeks. Today, I got three points, straight from Scripture, just pulled them right out of Scripture that, that we're going to look at today, and then I'll look at probably three practical uh, applications that I think that if we, if we take a look at them, they, they will just help us. The first thing is live a life of love. The Bible tells us that. You know, there are many things in our, in our lives and many things that are important in our lives, and, and, and we need to do them. We need to take care of them. But this whole living a life of love, I believe, is the place to start with relationships. A man came up to Jesus, and he said to Jesus, what is the most important thing? And we, talk, we actually read this passage last week when we talked about margin in our relationship with God. And in Mark chapter 12... Jesus responds, and we all know this. We talk about this verse a lot here at Camelback. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The guy asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? And Jesus responds with not just one. We think because we've heard this a whole bunch of times, he responds with two things. The truth of the matter is Jesus responds with three things. He responds and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Love God. 
And then he says, the second command is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There are no other commands more important than these. Jesus says, you need to learn to love me, and you need to learn to love those around you, and you need to learn to love yourself. Some of us struggle more with that last one than the others. And then in John chapter 13, Jesus said, listen, a new command, he said. So I'm giving you a new commandment. This is new. He says to his disciples before he leaves, a new command, love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He wants us to learn to love him and then learn to love each other. He was talking to the disciples. He didn't say love the world, although he says that in places. But right here, he says, you need to learn to love each other the way I love you. Because if you learn to love each other the way I love you, everybody is going to know that you are mine. We use, I believe we use the wrong measuring stick for success. I think Jesus is telling us here, here, what success really is like. Success is in our relationships. When we fail, when we fail to have margin in our relationships, you know what happens? We start skimming. And when we skim, we do it in the relationships that are closest to us and the relationships that mean the most to us. What do I mean by skimming? With, with, with our spouse. See, we start, we start out with love, but, but then our life gets so full of stuff, we, we skip over a bunch of the things that we do. and We, we start to skip one little thing, and, and then we skip another thing. And, and when there's no margin, there's no room, and, and the easiest thing to do is, is the things that are closest to us we begin to skip the, and it, and it becomes no longer a life of love. Love is making life about relationships, not accomplishments. Our world tells us that accomplishments are where it's at. Jesus says, live a life of love. We'll, we'll make that a little bit clearer just in a few minutes. But the second thing is, let God tell you what love is. The world around us has a lot to say about love. And the world wants to tell us what love is. There are millions of books on love. I don't even know how many movies there are about love. But there are so many, there are, there are so many songs about love. You, most of us have a song that... That, that, that's our song. If we're a couple, that, that, that's our song. We, re, we remember our song. And it's a love song. 
And then some of us even have a breakup song. that We, we wouldn't even have country music if it weren't for breakup song. We, we have a song that when we hear it on the radio, we remember who we broke up with be, with that song. Uh, let, let, think about it. There's so many songs about love, right? Let, 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 me, let me see if, if, if we're on the same, same page here, okay? In the name of, by you two. Come on, you guys should know that. All you need is, what's got to do with it, huh? There are so many of them. And, and, and we, we live hearing that. And then if you turn the news on, you know what you notice? The human race is not very loving. Especially as we get close to voting time. Especially this year. We, we are not very loving. We love, but we're not very good at it. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Love comes from God. Why? Because God is love. It is who he is. I, I, I can't tell. I, I quote that verse more than any other because I, I just think it is, it is fascinating because the very nature of God is love. But if you walk out into our culture and our society and ask people what God is, most of them are not going to say that, which means they don't know him. See, we have these things in our lives that we think are so important, and we think they're more important than they, than they really are. And, and, and as a matter of fact, we're walking through life, and we're letting the world tell us what is important. I think we should be asking God. I, I, can't, I can't remember a wedding ceremony that I've done that, that did not have 1 Corinthians, or at least a verse or two or something from 1 Corinthians chapter, the love chapter, chapter 13. I, I, as a matter of fact, I want us to read this together. But put this up on the screen here, and, and let, let's go through this whole list together. Because God tells us what love is. And Paul writes this out so clearly, and he gives us clarity on so many levels. Let, let's read this together. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love always hopes. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices with truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what love is. And Jesus said, love me and love the people around you as you learn to love yourself. How do, how do we take that list? How do, we, how do we take that list and do it? You see, when we become followers of Christ, His Holy Spirit moves inside of us, lives inside. I don't think it's possible for us to do that list without help, the help of the Holy Spirit. I just don't think it's even possible. But you and I need to understand 
who God is and who he is to us. I think there's an easy way to begin to get a little bit of perspective on that. You see, let's put that list back up there again, and, 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 and let's go through it again, but let's take, as a matter of fact, I'll do it for you. You can just sit there and watch, okay? We're going to take the word love out, and we're going to put the word God in. Let's read through it. God is patient with you. God is kind to you. God doesn't envy. God doesn't boast. God is not proud unless he's talking about you or me. Then he's proud because we are the apple of his eye. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered with you. God keeps no record of wrongs. Do you know why? Because he went to a cross on Calvary and he paid the debt for all of our wrongs. And he says in his word that he has taken those wrongs, sins, and he has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. The two will never meet. They are infinitely in opposite directions. And then he takes it a step farther and he says he's placed them in the, this is Bible, he's placed them in the sea of his forgetfulness. Only God could do that. You married couples know that because we struggle with doing that. We don't want to forget some things because there may be a time coming when we feel like we have to bring it back up. <laughs> he keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil. God rejoices in truth. God always protects you. God always trusts God always hopes. You know why? Because he is hope. God always perseveres. God never fails. You. If we'll take love out, place God in, I think it helps us get a little bit better perspective on who God is. And he tells us the way he loves us, he wants us to learn to love each other that way. Look at 1 John chapter 4. He says, and so we know and rely on the love of God. We rely on the love that God has for us. And he wants us to learn to love and rely on each other the same way. Kind of sounds like this message could have been from the 60s where all we talked about was love. And, and, and the reality, you know, the reality is, yeah, in the 60s, they got so much wrong. But God is tapping into this concept. This is who he is. He is love. And I'm thinking, you know, if I think about this, it's like, wow, if I live like this, now, there isn't even any time for work. What do I do about work? What do I do about other things in life? Where does work fit in? We all, we all have to get things done. As a matter of fact, the, the reality is work and ambition are a biblical concept. The Bible says it's a good thing. It gives us a culture of sowing and reaping. Do this and this will happen. If you will do this, do this then I will do this. If you plant a seed and water the seed, it will grow. 
and you will reap a harvest. It is biblical. Doing something that we were created to do is a God thing. It is a biblical thing. It starts way back with Adam. God gave Adam the responsibility to care for the garden. He gave him the responsibility to name everything in the garden. How did he do that? How did he do that and remember it? That's my question. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, that Adam, God says to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish, he says. Have dominion over. This was a God thing. So choose to live a life of love. And let God tell us what love is. And then the third thing is let love choose your priorities. Let love choose your priorities. How do I do that? How do I give love the first slots in my day? How do, how do I give love the most important slots in my day? You know, last week we talked about, I think, one of the main ones, or the main one, and that's, that's giving God the first time slot in our day, meeting God in the morning when the day is at its best and his presence comes like sunlight, like a glory within my breast. All day long his presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me, and we sailed in perfect calmness over a very troubled sea. Other ships were torn and battered. Other ships were so distressed. But the wind that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and a rest. So I think I've learned the secret, learned through many a troubled days. If you seek God in the morning, you will have him through the day. It is so true. Giving him that first slot in our day. I got to tell you about Karen and I. We, uh, we, we just, we're married. You guys most know that. We love each other. And we, we get up in the morning. I usually get up first. I always get up first. And I'll go and I'll get my coffee and sometimes I'll spend my time right there with the Lord and then when I'm done, I'll get her coffee and bring it to her. Or sometimes I'll bring both coffees and then I'll go... But before Karen and I leave for work, and sometimes she leaves first and sometimes I leave first, we will look each other in the eye, and I will say to her, I love you, and she will say to me, I love you, and we will kiss, and then one of us will leave. Prioritize your love. Making love a priority in our lives. What, what does it look like every day? How do, I, how do I organize my slots? Look what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, let love be your highest goal. Start, your, start the programming of your day with love in mind. That's what Karen and I do every morning in my time with God, and, and, and there are so many mornings that I miss it. I, I preached last week on margin in our spiritual lives, and three days last week, I was late for work, and two days, I never even opened my Bible at home. 
You think the pastor does everything right? You think there's nothing I meant? I, I am right there with, look, we are in this process of getting to know him together, of growing together, of watching him be God in our lives together. Let love be your highest goal. That means making yourself available to the people who you love the most. Making ourselves available to the people in our lives, to the people in our family, the people in our life group, the people you love the most. Years ago, years ago, my, uh, my dad... Uh, my dad mentioned a group called the Mills Brothers. How many of you remember the Mills Brothers? Wow. Put, put them back up. Let me see. I'm impressed. That's actually more than the first service. The Mills Brothers were not a group that I listened to, but, but they were my dad's generation. And their big hit was, you always hurt the ones you love. How many of you, you remember that song? Yeah. The one you shouldn't hurt at all. The closest ones to us. But, but we tend to do that. And Paul is saying, listen, let's give priority. Let's always be available to the ones that we love the most. Prioritize love in your life and in your day. What about work? Look what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. No matter what your job is, no matter what my job is, whether it's serving here in ministry or I'm a carpenter or a plumber or I'm sweeping the hallways, he says, do it as unto the Lord, and it actually becomes an act of worship. And you are living a life of love. How do we do this in practical ways? I wrote out three things. I just want to go through them quickly. The first one is let God be God and let people be people. God is God. Jesus said, love God with all your heart. I, I, I believe we really need to, we need to understand that. And the more we get to know God, the more we can understand how to love him because we understand more and more how much he loves us. And, and in Ephesians, Paul writes this in, in, in a way. He says, and, and, you, and may you have the, un, the power to understand. Circle that word understand. He's talking to us believers. And he says, listen, as followers of Christ, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. So whatever the process and whatever it's going to take in your life, in your relationship with God, Paul's saying, I want you to get to the place where you really understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. 
You know, Paul doesn't say the most important thing is that you understand how powerful God is. He doesn't say the most important thing is that you really understand how rich God is. The most important thing is that you understand that God's love is so high and so wide and so long and so deep. He said, that's what I want you to understand. The number one barrier for us understanding God's love is, is that we, we limit our thought process with God's love to our own experience. And some of us have never really experienced genuine love, or, or we've experienced love, but then we've been slammed by somebody. There's all kinds of places, and our, our, our perspective on love is flawed, and we're so selfish in, in our perspective on love. We, we all have different ideas about love, and, and, and he's saying, I, I, want you to, I want you to really understand, because God's love it's not like anything that we can think of or even understand. And I love that. I love that it's bigger than I can understand. I feel good being stupid about it. It's okay. It's all right to know that I'm never going to understand all of it. But Paul's saying the more you get to understand it, the more you can appreciate it. And the better you can do that, the better you can love the people around you. Let God be God, because he's perfect, you're not. He's God, you're not, I'm not. He's never, ever made a mistake. He's never going to. He couldn't tell a lie if he wanted to, because he's truth. Let God be God, and let people be people, because we are people. We're hurt. We're broken. We need love. We need each other. We need a Savior who chose to put us in relationships with each other. The source of our love is God, not other people. People are broken. The second practical step it's just kind of a little brief one. And it shows its face probably more in our culture than most cultures before us. The second practical step is choose faces over screens. We all have smartphones. And we live our lives in front of our smartphones. And it's so easy for us to send a text or throw something out on social media. It's so easy for us to do that. Let's sometimes spend more time resisting the urge to do that. Let's hear a voice. Let's prefer a voice over a text. And it, it'd be easy to sit here this morning and point to millennials and say, yep, that's them. I believe it's bigger than that. I walk into my family room, and Julia and Jordan and Wes are on their iPhones, and Karen is on her iPad. 
and I'll just shake my head and turn around and walk back out. They're all involved in... And, and the thought process is, well, it's normal. And, and it's kind of become normal. But just because something is common doesn't make it normal. And just because it's common doesn't mean it's beneficial. Now, I get it. I'm not picking on millennials. Have at it. I, I'm, I'm loving the opportunity to know anything I want to know that fast. But let's, let's, let's stop ourselves and slow ourselves down a little bit long enough to prefer a conversation over a text, over a social media. Let's put technology in its proper place. Let's plan for real talk and real meanings more often. And we can't look at millennials and say, uh-huh, because I don't believe it's their fault. I think that we in our generation, which is everybody before millennials, hasn't done that great a job of really having great conversations and building one another up. In Scripture, we're encouraged over and over with the one another's love one another. Encourage one another. Spend time with one another. Embrace one another. Be patient with one another. We haven't done that well. We don't, we don't have anything to stand on to point to them and say, you guys, I, I, don't, I don't know. Let's be brave. Let's be different. Let's be better. We're called to be salt and we're called to be light. When we leave a place, it should be better because we have been there. Look what Paul says in Romans 12. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. That's a great one. That one belongs on our refrigerator. Could you imagine if that one was imprinted in our hearts? Could you imagine if tattoos across the world had that passage of Scripture on them? That's a great passage. Choose faces over screens. The third one is be present. Be present. You see, love equals time plus commitment. Love doesn't just equal time. Love equals time plus commitment. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you know why he says teach us to number our days? Because our days are numbered. On the side of your notes, just grab your pen, and over on the side, there's no place for this, but I want you to write this down. 27,375. 27,375. Because that's, that's the amount of days that an average human being gets to live. 
27,375 days. Our days are numbered. Use them wisely. If you're 50 years old, you have 9,125 days left on average. If you're 65, which I am, on average, if you're 65 years old, you have 3,650 days left. Use them wisely. Maybe that's why I'm enjoying this series and paying more attention to this series and, and, and practically working to apply it in my life. I went to two funerals over the last month of two pastors. And you know what I heard? I heard how, how faithful these guys were, how they cared about people, how they gave their entire lives to share God with people. They gave their entire lives listening to Jesus say, love God and love people as you learn to love yourself. And they did it their whole lives. And the room was full and everybody that got up and talked just talked about how they did that. Doesn't get better than that. It just doesn't get better than that. Love is all about relationships. Jesus got our attention. Love me. Love the people around you. Learn to love yourself. Our kids need our uninterrupted time as parents. And our kids need us to keep our commitments. And we need to keep our commitments in marriage. Divorce is not the only option. There is nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing that he cannot do in a relationship. There's nothing that he cannot do in a life. He can fix anything. Mental health experts tell us that nothing can take the place of a parent. Nothing can take the place of a parent. Chuck Colson and George McGovern, <clears throat> both of them in the same era. In the Nixon era was Chuck Colson. He was in the Nixon White House, and McGovern was running as senator for president. And they have something that is so much in common that both of them have written about in their in respective books. Colson writes this, as I think back, my greatest regret is not spending more time with my kids. Making family your top priority means going against the culture where materialism is rampant. We've got to have more stuff. It means being willing to accept lower standard of living, knowing that you are doing the right thing for your children, giving them the emotional security that they will draw on for the rest of their lives. Senator McGovern writes in his book that he wrote about his daughter, Terry, who died of alcoholism. In 1994, she was found frozen in a snowbank. She fell into that snowbank in a drunken stupor the night before. 
Senator McGovern read her diaries and talked to her friends, he found out that he was not the father that he thought he had been. Spending 18 hours a day on a political campaign, his daughter was spending 18 hours a day missing her dad, and she wrote in his, her diary that he probably didn't care about her anyway. McGovern writes in his book about his daughter, Terry, he writes this, show more love to your kids by spending more time with them, especially teenagers, no matter what is the cost to your career. That way, neither of you will have regrets. I would give everything, yes, I mean everything, for one more afternoon with her, just to tell her how much I loved her and to have one of those happy times that we used to have too infrequently. You see, we only have so much time. And God tells us how to do our relationship. He takes this word love and we, and we begin to understand who he is and, and we look at it in practical ways and he says, this is what your relationships need to be built on. I know we have to get things done, but how we invest our time and who we invest our time with matters. And we will never, the Bible tells us, we will never regret choosing what matters most. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9, this is my prayer for you, that your love will grow more and more and that you will have knowledge and understanding with your love. In other words, place margin in your relationships. And you do that by placing your relationships in priority and that you place them through the context of love. And only God can show us that kind of love. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray together. Father, it's your love that was so willing to go to a cross to pay for our sins beyond what we can comprehend. And over and over again, you show us your love in all kinds of ways. Help us, Lord, to, to understand your love better and to apply it in our lives with each other. In other words, help us to simply be obedient to what you are asking us to do. Father, we ask in your name, help us, Lord, to place margin around our relationships so that in our relationships, we can grow in love. You're here this morning, and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. I, I want to give you that opportunity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never accepted him as your Savior, it simply means that you recognize that he is who he said he is, the Son of God, 
who gave his life on Calvary for your sins and for my sins. If you believe that, then you have become his child. If you accept him as your savior and you believe he is who he said he is, that means that you have become his child. And if you did that this morning, if you're doing that right there in your heart, it's as simple as that. You don't even have to pray a prayer to do that. It's as simple as believing that, just saying that. If that's you this morning, just simply, just for, just for, just for me, with every head bowed, every eye closed, Simply put your hand up and pull it right down. Yes, I see that. Yes. Yes. Father, oh, your word says that there is excitement in heaven when just one comes home. And Father, I saw several hands here this morning. And as a church family, we celebrate them coming into our family as believers, becoming one of your children, no longer just your creation, but, but now your child. We as a church celebrate them. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit wrap your arms of love around them. I pray, God, that their heart be open as if you can open up your word and begin to learn more about you in their relationship with you. God, I pray that you will accomplish the relationship with them that you so desperately desire. Do it, we ask, in your precious name. And Father, all of us here, Lord, as we look at this topic of relationships and allowing margin, I pray that your Holy Spirit at work in our lives would make that happen as we respond to you and you respond back to us. Do it, we ask, in your precious and holy name. And everyone said, amen.